Welcome to part two of our series, uh, Generosity Defined. With that memory fresh in your mind, I asked the question, was that guy really being generous? Was that true generosity, or was that more guilt or, or obligation? That's something we'll touch, touch on more in just a second. First of all, who are the grocery uh, shoppers here? You go to the store, you buy the food? Some, okay, so you're okay. It's safe to raise your hand in church. So uh, I don't, I, I'm, not the, I'm not the food shopper in my household. So um, Amy is, obviously. So she's the one who goes to the store. Did you, if you're the, if you're the food shopper, did you notice this last week that strawberries were just realistically cheap? No? They are. You should check it out. Like usually, so you got those cartons of strawberries that are maybe this big. Usually they're what, three, four bucks maybe? Five bucks if they're really out of season. She found them for a buck fifty each. So she, she got a few of them. She stuffed them in our fridge. And so needless to say, I've been, I've been enjoying strawberries this last week. They're awesome. There was one day in particular, I can't remember what day it was, but I, I was home. I was going to have a snack. I think it was in the afternoon. And I said, you know what? I'm going to have some strawberries. So I got them out of the fridge. And here's the father mode in me. All three of my kids were at home. Okay? So here's how I saw things playing out. I'm going to get six strawberries for myself to have a nice little snack. I'm going to get them ready. I'm going to sit down at the table. And as soon as I sit down, what's going to happen? One of them is bound to walk in and say, I want some strawberries too. So going into it, I was like, you know what? I'm going to have six strawberries for me, and I'm going to have three extra ones just in case all three of them happen to walk in. So I get nine strawberries. I wash them, get the green parts out, sit down at the table. And the moment my rear end hits the chair, zoom. Logan walks in, five years old. He looks at, first he sees my plate. He's like, Daddy, I want some of those too. I said, I'm sure you do, Logan, but how do you ask? And this is going to give you some insight into how I torture my kids. <laughs> Logan responds to me. He says, Oh, dearest father, <laughs> may I please have some strawberries? And I said, that's a great way to ask Logan. I coach all my kids to ask that way. I said, that's a great way to ask Logan. I would love to give you some strawberries. So I put my three strawberries in front of him. He starts eating them. He's like, thank you, Father. These are great strawberries. I'm like, you're welcome. I gave them to you because I'm just so generous. And I said, I'm just so generous. I mean, that was kind of a tongue-in-cheek comment because we're going through generosity as a church. And so I was trying to make a connection for him. You know, I'm just so generous. But as I, as I said that, I thought to myself, am I really being generous here? Was it really that much for me to get three extra strawberries in anticipation of being questioned for strawberries? You know, was that really generosity? And th- listen, this is a tension that all of us feel at some time because you've felt this. Somebody has, has told you, thank you, thank you, thank you for what you did. They, maybe they've even said, you're such a generous person. And you politely said, you're welcome, or it's no big deal. But deep inside, you were wondering, am I really all that generous? That's a good question that we're asking in this series. Am I really being generous? What does it mean to be generous? What do you have to do to be generous? And I think all of us kind of wonder, what exactly does that mean? And how can we be more of it? There's just all sorts of issues that come up here. So maybe a way to narrow this down is this is what we're, we're also saying in this series. Next slide. A generous person would do this. So we're, we're putting up this ideal person who is just oozing with generosity. It's everywhere. And so this isn't just our definition of generous. This is how God describes the generous person. And we're looking at them and we're saying, well, what would this person do? 
do? What would this person think? How would this person act? And as we answer these questions, here's one thing that Ben made real clear last week. Generosity is not about what you do. It's about who you are. And last week was really the solid foundation of where generosity flows out of. And, and uh, Ben turned to a section in 2 Corinthians that talked a, a great deal of teaching about just the, the source, the reason for generosity and why it's there. And as, as we further this this week, we're going to, again, look at this hypothetical generous person, and there's going to be one more important lesson which I'll share in just a minute. But first, I want to put on the screen a common myth that everyone believes or everyone has used. And the myth is this. I need more money to be generous. Last week, Ben started by saying, think of the most generous person you know. And I will admit, the first thing that came to mind were the wealthiest people I could think of. Because generous people, I I assume, need money to be generous. And I start to think, well, if I had more money, I could be as generous as they are. Now, this is a, 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 this is a myth, this is a lie that everyone believes. This myth implies that it's just environmental or it's just a practical problem that we have. If we just had more money, that would solve the problem of generosity. But this is not a practical problem or an environmental one. This is a spiritual problem. Here's what we're really saying here. Here's a translation. God is preventing me from being generous because he hasn't given me enough to be generous with. God is the one holding me back. And this lie was told to Adam and Eve in the garden. The devil said, you could be so much more, but God is holding you back. You could be just like him but he is holding you back. And they bought the lie. We still buy the lie today. The reason we're not better is because God is holding us back. Now, here's the cool thing, and then we're going to transition into the next point. What did God do to Adam and Eve when they denied God's generosity? What did God do when Adam and Eve accused him of holding back from them? He gave them even more. As if being rulers of an entire creation wasn't enough, God said, I am going to send you an offspring who will crush the serpent's head. And from our perspective, we know that was none other than the only son of God. When people denied God's generosity, God showed it even more. And this is where we start. We started this early in the service. We got to do it again. Our lack of generosity can't be fixed by us. It has to be forgiven by God. And his generosity can cover it. Trust him with it. Now here's one, one quick um, observation and then we'll, we'll, we'll make a point. When God demonstrated his greatest act of generosity by sending his own son, it required a plan. For thousands of years, God got things set up to the point where when the time was right, he sent his son, born of a woman, born under law. His plan required, his generosity required a plan. Now, here's the thing. The resurrected Jesus is now living in your heart by faith. His generosity is overflowing in everything that you do. And his generosity still requires a plan. 
So the next thing I put up here, basically what I did was I took the, the part of the Bible that we're studying today and I said, well, how, what is this teaching us? What is the, the main thing that we can take from this? What's my best statement? So I'm going to give it to you right away. Sometimes we save these for the end just to make sure you listen. So if I can trust you, I'm just going to give you the main point right now and then we're going to look at it closely for the next few minutes. Can I trust you? You got to buy in here. Can I trust you? Or else I'll... I'll Okay, here it is. Fill in number one. Generous people don't make money. I'm sorry, they don't make more money. Generous people make a plan. If you and I could believe this and put it into practice, it would make such a big difference and an impact in our lives. We would be less guilted about giving. We'd be less regretful about giving. We would find greater trust in God, all sorts of things. And what I want to do is I want to take this statement and I want to show you not just why it's true, but I'm going to sh- I want to show you what happens when we can actually believe this, that generosity requires a plan from us. And to do this, we're going to turn to a section in the Bible that's right after what Ben looked at last week. It's still in 2 Corinthians. He looked at chapter 8. It was chapter 8, right? Right, Ben? Chapter 8? Yeah, okay. So today is chapter 9, so it's just the next chapter over. And so the context for this is exactly the same as last week. Here's the Cliff Notes version. The Christians in Jerusalem were being persecuted. They had no money, no food. The other Christians around the other areas, they said, let us help. The Apostle Paul said, that's a great idea. Let's collect an offering. They said, okay. So here's what happens. They're collecting this offering across several congregations, and they're going to send it all off to Jerusalem to show their support and to help them out. All right, so there's the context for you. Now, as Paul writes these letters to the Christians in Corinth, he's reminding them that they had bought into this, that this was their idea, and he's also helping them because Paul understood this, that generosity isn't about more money, it's about a plan. So we're going to dive into uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 5, and as we do this, you're going to see the urgency of having a plan. So here's what Paul writes. He says, So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance. In other words, some people were going to come and pick up the offering. Paul's like, I need to send somebody before that, just to make sure things are ready. They're going to go in advance and finish the arrangements for the generous gift you had promised. Now, in today's terms, what they probably did was they said, Paul, this is a great cause. We want to be a part of it. We want to give an offering to help support these Christians in Jerusalem. Here's what we're going to do. And so maybe they even wrote it down. Maybe they had a little pledge card that Paul gave them, and they said, here's what we're going to do. And Paul's like, oh my goodness, that's generous. So generous that they couldn't just empty their pockets and send it to Jerusalem. This generosity, this number that they had was so generous that it would require weeks and weeks, perhaps perhaps months of planning and saving. And so Paul says, look, I want to make sure that you're ready when we come so so that we can have a plan to be generous. Generosity doesn't require more money. Generosity requires a plan, a plan. Here's why he says it's so important. He says, then, once we have this plan, once everything is ready, then your offering will be ready as a generous gift, not as one grudgingly given. Have you ever given a gift grudgingly? (sighs) 
what we're going to see, something that Paul reemphasizes, when it comes to giving gifts to God, to God's people, for, for, you know, for things related to him, the amount is not important. The attitude is. And we're going to see this unfold. Paul says, look, we need to make sure the attitude of this offering surpasses the amount of it. So he slows down a little bit, and he's like, okay, let's, let's look at this logically. And, and he goes on in verse 6 to describe a situation that was all familiar. He's like, you remember this. This is something you guys know. Whoever sows sparingly, whoever plants seeds, and this kind of holding back. They don't plant very many seeds. They will also reap sparingly. There won't be a lot of crops to choose from. And whoever sows generously, they plant a lot of seeds. They will also reap generously. There will be a lot of crops. And those people were thinking, wow, what wisdom and insight is this? Paul said, this isn't anything new. This is common sense. Now, here's the, here's the point. What he isn't saying is, if you give more, you'll get more. That's not what Paul is saying here. What he's saying is any decent farmer who wants to be a farmer for a living will anticipate his crops before he puts a single seed in the ground. Any farmer who wants to stay in business will anticipate the crops before he puts a seed in the ground. Is that fair to say? Dean? Yeah? Okay. He's a farmer. He knows. So I got, I'm vetted, we're good. So you, there's a planning involved. And it's not so much, you know, I give more to get more. It's how much will I need and what do I need to give or sacrifice today to make this happen. And for some farmers, they might need to sacrifice a lot today for what will happen a season or two from now. So Paul's like, okay, this is just the way it is. We need to plan. And he says, here's how it applies to your giving. He goes on in verse 7. Each man should give what he, or each person, you don't have to, it's not necessarily man. Each person should give what he has decided in his heart to give. I know you guys filled out this card and you said how much you would give. This, this is not a tax. This is not a levy. This is not, we're selling season tickets so you can be a part of this church. This is something that you need to premeditate in your own heart. This premeditation. You want to be a premeditated giver. This is something where I've sat down and in my own heart I've considered what do I want to accomplish tomorrow and what sacrifice is necessary today. We need to plan because generosity is not having more money. Generosity is having a plan. And here's uh, two other words before we go on. Let's go back one real quick. Uh, reluctantly. Uh, don't give reluctantly. That's hard for us to do sometimes. Reluctantly, the reason we give reluctantly is because we give, um, because we're guilted into it, basically. A, a great example of that was something Ben showed last week. We could show pictures of orphans up on the screen, and we could show you, tell you how these orphans need food, and they're going hungry, and we need your food, and with one dollar, you could feed an orphan for 10 years or something like that. You know, we need your money. We need your money. If you love orphans, you'll give us money. We could guilt you into giving money for orphans, and you would feel guilty if you didn't give. God is not interested in the amount. He's interested in the attitude. Don't give reluctantly because you're guilted into it. And this, this would have been so true with these Corinthians also, the, these Corinthian Christians. Paul says, look, you, you made a pledge. 
you agreed to this. And they're, oh, yeah, yeah, we did agree. Yeah, I, we kind of forgot about that. Well, here you go. For a good cause, I guess. They could easily find this as they're guilted into it. But more important than the amount is the attitude. So do not give reluctantly. And also says do not give under compulsion, which means your greediness does not want to let go of it. And it's almost like, well, I'm compelled to do this. Yeah, I guess we agreed to do this. All right, fine, just take it. And it's like pulled out of your greedy hands. No, that's not what God wants. He doesn't want that amount of money. He wants an attitude with which it's given. And here it is, God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. He loves the attitude, not the amount. Now, here's how it applies to you. When we have a plan... When we have a plan, it actually guards us from guilted giving and from greedily hoarding. That's our fill-in number two for today. A plan guards you from giving out of guilt. Yeah, I guess I better give. And it, and it, it guards you from hoarding out of greed because here, here's how the first one works. Giving out of guilt. We all know what this feels like. Anytime you get an appeal letter in the mail, anytime you hear about a great cause, you're like, I, I want to do something. I wish I could do something. And there's this part of you that goes out to it and you just can't do anything. There's a guilt associated with that. But here's what happens when you have a plan. When you have a plan, you've already sat down and you've said to yourself, this is what I need to plant. This is the stuff I'm going to sow. This is what I can do. And here is where I'm going to use it. So if you have a plan, you already know where your money's going to go. So when someone comes up to you and says, yeah, but here's a great cause, you can tell them, I'm sorry, I have a plan. Maybe next year when I make a new plan, I can come back to you. It relieves the guilt because you already know what you're doing with your money. And it also safeguards us from, hoard, from uh, greeting, greedily, hoarding it out of greed because part of us is finally, if, if we just don't have a plan, and if we wait till the end of the month and we say, oh, here's what we have left, there's this greed part of you that says, I could use this extra money for me, for stuff I want, but a plan prevents you from doing that. A plan tells you this money has already been spent because I plan to give with a good attitude. So having a plan safeguards these things. Uh, the, the next thing that might come to their minds as they're reading this letter, they might be thinking, but Paul, how could we possibly make a plan like this? And we don't even know what tomorrow will bring. We don't know how much money we'll have. How can we possibly support other Christians who are being persecuted? What if we're persecuted? We'll need our money. Here's how Paul goes on. He says, look, there's something you need to know as you make your plans. You might not feel able to make a plan God is able. You might not feel able to promise anything for tomorrow. God is able. But I'm, I'm just not so sure. God is able. He's able to do what? Make all grace abound to you. He fills you up with his knowledge and understanding of his love in Christ. He makes it abound in you so that you can't keep it in any longer. So that in all things, at all times... Having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Now that sounds like a salesman pitch, doesn't it? How can Paul possibly promise these things? And isn't there some self-motivation where he has to get a collection here and there's some self-interest? Why is he using such strong language? It's because he knows something that God had promised. 
Next verse. It is written. This is a sure thing. God has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor. So worst case scenario, even if you become poor, God is able to provide. And his righteousness endures forever. He's not going to change. Do you trust him? Here's the thing about a good plan. Number three here. If you have a good plan, it will push you, force you, compel you to trust in God. And, and we need to define this really carefully because we, we, on the one hand, we can put ourselves in a situation where we don't need to trust in God, where we just have so much stuff. We're like, this is my God. This is where my, my comfort is. And on the other end, we can get a little too carried away. So to help visualize this, I'm kind of a visual learner, and maybe some of you are too. We're going to put this on the screen. Here's kind of a way just to picture it. So here we are planning how much we give, what we give, where it goes, and we're saying to, on, on the one end here, well, you know what? Let's say you make $1,000 in a week. I'm going to give $1,000 to God. And you do that every time you get paid, every cent. I'm just going to give it away. I'm going to give it to God and let him take care of me. You know what I call that? I call that foolishness, um, idiocy, <laughs> because here's what God does. He gives you so that you can take care of yourself and take care of others, and so if you give it all away, you're basically disrespecting the, the stuff God gave you, but you're also testing him. Can you really take care of me? And you, and you, you push away the stuff that he gives you, so that's one extreme. I, I would assume that most of us don't wrestle with that too much, right? It's like you have to get, get counseling because you're giving away too much money. I don't think m- many of us need that. On the other end of the spectrum, we, 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 maybe we gravitate towards this more. We want to keep it all. We don't know what tomorrow brings. We need to build up money. We need lots of money. We're just going to keep all of it, and then when we feel comfortable, then we will give. And that demonstrates nothing but a trust in money. So now here's the thing. I can't point to a place on this scale and say this is where you should be and this is where you should be. I can't point to it because you know what God said. Each one should sit down and consider how much he will give. This is a premeditated gift. This has to come from you so that you don't give reluctantly or under compulsion because I'm telling you what to do. But I, I'm telling you, somewhere in the middle, you're going to find this. You're going to find an area of generosity where you can give and feel great about it because you're not keeping it for yourself, but you're giving it away. And here's the other thing. This is like, this, is the, the, this next question I'm going to ask you, this was the toughest question anyone has ever asked me And if you can answer this question and do it, it's going to have a a, a tremendous impact on you. The question is this. So this is how much you make. This is how much you have. How much of that do you have to give away so that you will trust God? How much do you have to get rid of so that you are forced to trust God? I think that is a really good question. And once you get to that yellow area, once you get to that middle ground, you're going to find yourself being generous. Because now you're giving for the right reasons. You're being freed from guilt. You're being freed from regret. You're not greedy. And you're trusting in God. 
being generous is not about more money. Being generous is about having a plan. A plan. Now, to, to send you off with one thing real quickly that's practical, we're going to turn to another section where Paul was writing a letter to the same people. Um, it's actually a previous letter, but in this section, he gives them some very specific advice on how to get to this place, how to have a plan. This is what he says in 1 Corinthians 16. He says, On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up, so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. I want to point to these three sections before we move on here. So he says, in keeping with his income. So what, what would these people have to do? What should you do? We have to know our income. <laughs> we have to know how much we make. And a simple calculator, if you get paid on a weekly or biweekly basis, can, can figure it out pretty easily. What is your situation? What has God given you? That's step number one. Step number two is this. On the first day of every week, in other words, they had a plan. There's going to be a certain day on which we give a certain amount of money and we're going to set it aside. That's their plan. And the third part of it was this. They would actually set it aside. I don't know if it was a shoebox or a hole in the ground, but they would have a place where they would physically take this money and set it aside because they were taking a step forward in their plan. So I'm going to extrapolate from this three easy things for you to take home today. Uh, this is fill-in number four, last one. First of all, know your situation. What has God given you? Uh, second thing, make a plan. So what amount of money do I need to put in the ground today so that it can reap something for God later? What is my plan for generosity? And, and the plan includes how much do I need to give in order to trust in God. That's part of the plan. And then the third one is the hardest. Set it aside. Give it. And I'm going to tell you, when we do these three things, when you have a plan, the results are amazing. You're going to find yourself not giving out of guilt, not giving because you have to prove that you're not a horrible person. You're going to find yourself giving because you trust in God. You're going to find giving to be such a joyful, cheerful thing for you, not just randomly, not just spontaneously, but purposefully giving will keep you free from that guilt, free from that regret, and it'll focus you on trusting in God. Now what we want to do next week is we're actually going to look at the impact it has when we're able to do this. When you believe and put into practice the idea that generosity is not about more money, generosity is about a plan, it will have a huge impact on you personally, but more than that, more importantly than that, it'll have a huge impact on your church, on your community, and on the world. So that's what we'll talk about next week. Don't miss it. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, your generosity for us was so rich when from before eternity you planned to send your Son to take away our sins. And while we, we watched him dying on the cross, we could see your love, your generosity well up for us. As we consider the place we've been given in your household as your children through Christ, help us to have that same generosity for people around us. Help us to see the importance of not just being spontaneous, which is okay, but more having a plan for the way we use the, the gifts that you've given us. 
and as we'll see next week, to uh, help us to see that this is an important thing for us individually, but also as a community. Bless us and be with us as we uh, pray all these things in Jesus' name, who also taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.